just, just so you know, most of the time I don't have notes. Sometimes I bring them up just because I, I like to type things out. Uh, but most of the time I don't use notes. And even when I do have notes, they're usually, uh, you know, I try to fit them on one page. Today we've got six commands, the second table of the Ten Commands, six commands to go through. I have three full pages of notes, so you should be afraid, (laughs) very afraid. But we've got 48 minutes, let's pray and we'll get right into it. Father, you are good. Lord, thank you for the worship this morning. Thank you that we are justified through your blood, your work. Thank you that although you give us responsibility in this life and you give us a work to do, a work to be a part of, we rest in your work of deliverance and salvation for our souls. God, we come to you this morning with finite human minds, but minds that you created and minds that you gave. Father, there is, uh, your word can infiltrate these minds of ours. Your spirit can change and transform us through your word. And we ask for that grace this morning. Father, may we leave this place not pointing our fingers at someone else in the world, But Father, may we see today our part, that we are part of the problem in the world, that that we may repent and ask for grace to follow your commands that higher civilization can once again occur. Lord Jesus, it is in your name we pray these things that every Christian said, amen. We are in Exodus chapter 20. We got through the first 11 verses, the first four commands of the Ten Commandments last week. Uh, In case you forgot, God's people are at the base of Mount Sinai. On the other side of the mountain is the promised land. But before they enter, before their geographical boundaries, before their inheritance is set, Physically, in this physical world, God gives his commands to his people who he's made a free people and wants them to remain free. God's commands are not to hurt. God's commands are not to harm. God's commands, God speaks as every good father speaks to his sons and to his daughters to encourage, to help, to guide, to lead into greater good, into blessing, into more flourishing, to more prosperity. It's what God wants for his people. I've made you free. Now, here's how to stay free. Commandment number one, no other God before me. Keep me first. There's a lot of good things in this world, amen? But but putting something above God, creating a false God for ourselves other than Yahweh is when we take a good thing and we put it in the place of God. We make good things God things. We talked about our own emotional states, love, education. There's a lot of good things in this world that can be of benefit to us, but when we put them above God and his commands, they always lead to immorality and immorality leads to the breakdown of higher civilization, of of society that is blessed and flourishing. Only when we keep God first will we obey his commands and experience the life that God created us to experience. Keep God first. No graven images. There is nothing we can make with our hands out of creation. Wood, stone, clay that can come close to the glory and majesty of almighty God. So God says, don't create anything yourselves and come to it to worship as if it's me. Because it is always going to be, anything you make with your hands is going to be less than who I am. Keep my name holy. Don't use it in vain. Don't use the name of, of Yahweh, your God, insincerely or thoughtlessly. 
and remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Remember, yes, I'm giving you a work to do, a work that not only brings purpose and meaning into your human existence, but builds the society that God wants humans to achieve on planet Earth, a, a, a society that has dominion over creation, a society that is blessed and fruitful. God's given us a work to be a part of, but there's a day where we rest from our work knowing it's not just about our work. Ultimately, sovereign God, we rest in his salvation and his deliverance and not the work of our own hands. These are what we call the vertical commands. The commands that God gives us to keep our relationship right with him. Today, starting in verse 12, we move into the horizontal commands. How we deal, we know how to deal with God. Now, how do we deal with one another so that higher civilization can be born and continue to exist in the world Commandment number five, which is a bridge between the vertical and the horizontal. It begins to take our eyes off of the commands uh, concerning our relationship with God and brings them down to uh, our brothers and sisters and those who we live this life with, those who, that we can see, smell, hear, touch. We shouldn't taste each other, but all the other things, all the other senses in the physical world... The first, command that, the first command that God gives, verse 12, to serve as this bridge, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. On the other side of this mountain is a land I'm giving you, and I want you to succeed. So keep me first. Keep relationship with me right. But following that relationship, you've got to keep your relationship with, with your... Ever, there's a couple million people standing there listening to God speak singularly to them. Honor your... There is no such thing as a great society that's not made up of great individuals who are following God and keeping his commands. Honor your father. Honor your mother. Why? God, in beginning to speak to his people on how to stay free, how to be blessed, how to flourish, he begins with the family unit. There's no such thing as a great nation that's not made up of families who honor God and keep his commands. Family is the building block. That's why God begins the Bible with a marriage. God begins the Bible with a family and family, listen, people don't like to hear this. My generation didn't want to hear this, didn't want to have anything to do with any kind of hierarchical system. One of the, the bad words of postmodernity, right? There was a lot of bad words in the modern world, but now as we've moved into the postmodern world, one of the worst words, one of the trigger words, I mean, you're going to make people go into anxiety attacks and need therapy puppies if you use the word authority. But God is sovereign God who created There is an authority. And even within his creation, God puts his thumbprint on creation why do we begin with honoring mother and father because mother and father God is creator of all things but even in this earth fathers and mothers serve as co-creators of their children it's the thumbprint of God right it's why anywhere on planet earth we don't like it we had Nirvana, we had Pearl Jam, we had Soundgarden, right? We had all the bands of the 90s telling us we don't need it. But the reality is you will never escape authority in your human life. 
There's no such thing as a sports team that doesn't have a coach. There's no such thing as a, a, a business or a corporation that doesn't have a president or a CEO. Well, Brent, I started my own company, and I'm the owner. I don't have a boss. Hello? They just hired 83,000 more IRS agents. Right? You can't escape authority. We are not islands unto ourselves. And to prove this to us, God gives parents. Why do we start with the family in dealing with our and commands God gives for a blessed and flourishing society? Why do we begin with mom and dad? Why does God give moms and dads to children to teach them? Right? If a child, moms and dads, why is it important if you love your children to discipline them? Because the, the sooner we learn authority exists and it's coming and it's going to hold us accountable, the better it's going to be for us in our human lives. How many of you remember that old book by uh, William Gold? Was his name Goldberg? Lord of the Flies? What was his name? Goldman. Lord of the Flies. You remember that? It's one of my favorite books as a high school student. It's, it's a book about this private school, boys' school, all boys' school. They're on a plane. They're taking a trip. The plane goes down. All the adults die, but the boys make it over to an island. And there on that island, this grand social experiment begins. Right? And, and pretty quickly, some teams begin to form on who's in charge and how is this thing going to work, this, this new life that we find ourselves in. And there's just a couple boys that, that remember the rules of the real world, remember the morality of the real world, the ways in which we should live and the ways in which we should not. But most of the boys give to their, their base desires, their lesser angels, if you want to quote from political speeches of the past hundred years. And the more and more time goes by, the more marginalized those who want to stand for morality become. And the more wild and the more uh, crazed those who are just living in the moment, living their best life now, being their own gods, doing what they want, the more and more power, the more control, the more momentum their team picks up to where they're even murdering other boys on the other side until there's, there's one left. And at the end of the book, they're trying to kill this one boy that's left standing for morality, standing for uh, what God would call good. And they're chasing him, and he's, he's fighting for his life, and he can feel their breath on the back of his neck. And onto the beach, he runs until he falls to the ground. But when he looks up, thinking it's over, they're going to get me. But as he looks up, two feet stand before him in the sand. The adults have found them again. They've been looking for these boys. The parents have been looking for the boys. And there they are on the beach standing. And the little boy, the one boy looks up and sees the adults. And he knows immediately he has been saved. While the rest of the boys come out of the woods who were in hot pursuit wanting to take the life of that boy. They see the adults. And what goes through their mind in that moment, it's a powerful moment in the book, when they realize that they too are held accountable for their actions. It may look like people are getting away with sin, but nobody gets away with sin. Accountability always comes. God gives parents to teach and to train children how to behave, how to respect and honor authority that God has placed in their lives so that when they grow up, right, a child that doesn't learn respect for authority, it will be very hard for them to honor God when they become an adult and can live any way they want to. So God gives parents, and we're told to 
honor father and mother. Now notice something. Because there are no loopholes in the commandments of God. Because some have told me before how hard it is. Because dad was a drunk. Mom was verbally abusive. Notice the Bible doesn't say, love your father and your mother. You know what's funny about the Old Testament? We're told to love our neighbor. We're even told to love the stranger. But we're not told to love father and mother. We're told to honor them. Because they are, whether they were good parents or not, they are the authority placed in the lives of, of you, your, the children on planet earth, showing that there is a higher, there's always a higher authority in which we should submit to. The Apostle Paul said it like this in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. By the way, all of the commandments in the Decalogue, all these ten statements are repeated in the New Testament except for one. Commandment number four, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. That's why I read to you Colossians chapter 3. The Sabbath was a day in the Old Testament, in the New Covenant, in the New Testament. The day becomes a person. His name is Jesus in whom we find our rest. Which is why we read Colossians chapter 3. Let no one pass judgment on you concerning the new moons or festivals or the Sabbath. Right? Because those were a shadow of what was coming what has come, Christ himself, in whom our rest culminates from our work. Paul says it like this, because part of honoring is obedience. Obey. And look, my kids, they memorized this one a long time ago. <laughs> Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment that comes with a promise. All these commands, look, we're fixing to get into some that are four words long. Thou shalt not, blah, and that's it. This command comes with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long upon the earth. Now, what is God telling to his people from Mount Sinai through thunder and smoke? Is he saying, if you honor your parents, nothing bad is ever going to happen. If you honor your parents, right, the drunk driver's not going to hit your car and take your... No, that's not what Scripture teaches. What is, what is God saying? Honor your father and mother. Because it's the only way. This thing, building a culture that understands authority and obedience is the only way that higher civilization, blessed, having dominion and flourishing civilization can continue to exist. No nation, which is why the mess that we're in can be traced to the breakdown of the family. No, weak families, weak nation. Strong families, strong nation. Honoring our parents comes with a promise. And your kids, listen, I told you a couple weeks ago, values are often caught more than they're taught. How do we, now that we're old, now that we're adults, now some of you, you're still at home. Still a lot of honor you can show. But those of us with kids, how can we build into our kids? How is it not just rules and obedience all the time? No, they need to see us honor our own parents. They need to see those weekly phone calls. They need to see that desire to make calendar days work, to go and to visit and Thanksgiving meals and those family traditions and those trips when you're able to take together with your parents and your kids. Right? We build honor into our own families by 
obeying the command and honoring our parents still, even though we're the authority now and we're in charge. God wants his people to stay free. God wants his people to be blessed. It begins with our relationship with him, but it bridges into our relationship with one another, and that begins in the home by children honoring their father and their mother. Verse 13, commandment number six. We're officially in the second tablet. Five commands on one, second on the other. We'll talk about tablets a little later. This is God's audibly speaking to a couple million people in the Sinai Peninsula. The final five commandments all dealing with our relationships with one another. How can higher civilization continue to exist? Thou shall, King James, sorry, you, when you spend 10, 12 years as a young Christian studying and memorizing your King James Bible, it's hard to get it out sometimes. You shall not murder. Now, does anybody have a King James Bible in here? Anybody? Mary, what does it say? What's the command there? Oh, it's the, the King James Version uses the word kill. Thou shall not kill. But there's a reason for that mistranslation. For all you King James only, there's a lot the King James Bible got wrong. Did you know when the King James Version first came out, it was called the She Bible? Because in the Old Testament concerning, uh, I think it was Jeremiah the prophet, at one point the translation uh, called him a she. So God had got his pronouns wrong, misgendered him. <laughs> and the people rejected the King James Bible at first because they called it the she Bible. They just wouldn't have it, which is so funny, a couple hundred years can do. And people think it's the only Bible that you can read. The actual Bible is in Hebrew in the Old Testament, Greek in the New. Amen. We are practicing tongues and prophecy today as we read translations of ancient tongues. Woo, we're going to have fun in 1 Corinthians. Shall not murder. The command is to murder, not kill. Why did the King James Version say kill? Because in the English, there was only one word, and it was kill that meant, meant everything wrapped up uh, in that word. But in the Hebrew, there's two words. One is kill and one is rasach, which means to murder. Mur it's used over 40 times in the Old Testament. It means the immoral taking of a life, the taking of a life in an unjust way. That's what it means to murder. It's the difference between why if I see a fly... In my small group, they're awesome. They know me well. I hate flies. And you, when you're grilling outside in the summer, the flies are everywhere. They bought me this gun that you pour salt into. And you just, you cock it. You pow, pow. You shoot these bursts of salt. Just obliterates flies. But when you take a fly swatter and you kill, you kill, you say, I killed a fly. You don't say, I murdered a fly. There's a reason we say, hey, a group of Marines killed five terrorists today in Lebanon. And not a group of Marines murdered five terrorists today in Lebanon. There's a difference in these words. Because there is an appropriate time to take a life according to God and according to his law in Leviticus and according to the rest of the Old Testament. It is appropriate to kill when nations go to war. If there is a nation that hates your nation and wants to kill you, I quoted Mad Dogmatics a couple weeks ago. Put a bullet in the enemy's head before they put one in yours. Right there is a, that, That's killing. And that's appropriate when you are at war. Two nations hate one another, want to overcome one and usurp one another. Right? It's, it's okay to fight. It's right to fight and to kill in that situation. Somebody breaks into your house. It's going to harm you, going to harm your children. You pacifists are so funny. And again, King James Version created a lot of sects of Christianity. The Plymouth Brethren, Quakers, right? People that would not, they were, thou shalt not kill. They were like Buddhists. They wouldn't even kill a roach crawling across the floor. 
But God says if somebody's coming after you to harm you in self-defense, it is right to kill. Which is why our founding fathers were incredibly wise in protecting. You know why there's so many Scots-Irish in North Carolina and other places? Because Pennsylvania was full of Quakers. They would just roll a red carpet out for old King George. Come on in, sit on the throne. We're not going to fight. Did you know in World War II, Jehovah's Witnesses uh, are, are pacifists. So when, Joseph, when the, the Nazis found Jehovah's Witnesses within the concentration camp, they would make them the barbers for the, for the Nazi soldiers there because they knew when they held those razors to their necks, they wouldn't slice their throats. They were, they were, they were, it was against their religion to kill. I'd have stuck that razor right deep down in there. Right? Because to defend yourself, God says it's right to kill. God condones capital punishment. You take a life, your life is going to serve as payment. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. There are times to kill, but there is never time in the economy of God to murder. To take a life that does not deserve to be taken. This, and listen, think about it. What would the world, we had two, Cobb County, our county. This church is in Cobb County. Two police officers lost their lives this week. We wouldn't need the military. We wouldn't need law enforcement if civilization could flourish and thrive. If we would just honor God and his commands. You shouldn't take a life that doesn't deserve to be taken. And that includes the unborn who do not deserve their legs to be ripped off, their bodies to be mangled for the sake of your convenience. Thou shall not murder. 14, by the way, just all this gun stuff. Guns are like money. It's inanimate objects. Guns are neither good or evil. Money is neither good or evil. It's people that are the problem. Money can be used for good. It can be used to heal, to save, to feed, to clothe. But it can also be used for evil, to traffic, to... Just like guns, they can be used for good, self-defense. They can also be used for evil. People are the problem. The guns, the money, all the other things are inanimate. The command is you shall not... You want, life, you want to stay free? You want life to be good life. You want society to achieve higher... Planes of living. Honor your parents. And don't take the life of an innocent like Cain. Genesis chapter 4 begins with the first murder. Cain, out of jealousy of his brother, taking his life. Verse 14. Gotta hurry. You shall not commit adultery. Out of all the things, the ten building blocks for higher society. This seems so foreign to us in 2022. When parades and multiple partners and, and who can be so backward as to stay with just one person all their life. Even those who... Love the Lord. We've seen over and over the Southern Baptist Convention is, I mean, this, this, I mean, the Biden administration is investigating them over past uh, famous ministers even falling into, into this sin. Who can stay pure? You, as, if we can get to the end, you can. You can. You don't have to fall into the degradation of this world. The command, God wouldn't give us a command. That's why he says, honor your parents not to love them. God's not going to give you a command that you simply can't obey. 
Do not commit it. Why? Again, the family is the building block of society. Bad families lead to bad nations. There can be no good nation, no higher civilization without the family acting as God has created it to act. And people come to me all the time, ah, well, Brent, you know, this whole open marriage thing. If you ever go to somebody's house and at the front door there's a pineapple sign, watch out. That's code for we're swingers. <laughs> That's, that's a real thing, evidently. It's an open marriage. My spouse isn't offended. I'm not offended. Lots of partners. It's just fun. Listen, adultery is not just sin against your spouse. If they're okay with it, it doesn't make it right. It's a sin against the, it's a sin against the family. It's a sin against the community. It's a sin against the nation, and more importantly than even that, it's a sin against God himself who created us male and female to come together in a lifelong covenant with one another. You and you alone are the love of my life. There will be no other. Just as there is no other God who can make a covenant and save a people Unto himself. Our marriages. It's a gospel issue. Ephesians 5 makes it very clear. That husbands are to love their wives. Like Christ loved the church. And the wives are to honor and respect their husbands. The way that the church honors and respects the lordship of Christ Jesus. It is through our Christian marriages. That the gospel is proclaimed through our marriages. That's what Paul says. This is the mystery, he says. Our marriages, when done God's way, reflect the gospel to all who would come into contact with us in this world. It is our Christian marriages, God's way, that builds the higher civilization, the freedom that God wants us to keep. It's why everything outside, again, the Ten Commandments set very clear boundaries for human sexuality and marriage. When we step out of bounds into homosexuality, it's sin that must be repented. You can't stay out here and say, God's cool with it. He let me know in a dream. No, his word says, get back in bounds. Stop sinning, repent, and come back in bounds. If you don't, you are not a Christian. Fornication, if you're not married and you're fooling around, God says, save yourself for marriage. That's sin. Repent, step back in bounds. Obviously, if you're married, your spouse is your only partner, mate for life. If you're out of bounds, repent. Come back into bounds. It may not save your marriage, but repent. Know you're part of the problem. Come back within the boundaries that God has set. Pornography. Out of bounds. Jesus said, yeah, the command says don't commit adultery. And so we always got guys finding loopholes. Well, I'm not really committing adultery. You are. Your desire, if you look at another woman with lust in your heart for, you have committed adultery, Jesus says. There are no loopholes. We want to be upset and we want to complain and moan about the world in which we live in. If statistics are true, Seven out of ten men who sit in church on Sunday mornings have looked at pornography this past week. And ladies, you're not far behind now. Bunch of perverted women running around. <laughs> How? What does repentance look like? 
It's more than just saying, I'm sorry. It's saying, I'm sorry, and receiving forgiveness. If you, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. But then we go back. We don't work to save ourselves. He saves us through his work, but he's got a work for us to do. Do we want better for our nation? Do we want better for this world? It's time to get back to the commands of God. It's the only way true higher civilization can ever exist. And you look through history. Greater civilizations than ours right now have come and gone. And before it was another nation, it was the politics and the debased and depraved actions of the people. Look at the Greeks. The Greeks tore themselves up from the inside before they were ever taken control from the outside. Rome, very same. Is it America's turn next? Or can God's people lead a nation into repentance and right living? Not living that say we don't do good works to save us. But we do good works because God has saved us unto them. And we want a better nation to live in, amen? We want a higher civilization. We want to be blessed and flourished, amen? This is how you do it. Keep God first. Honor your parents. Stop taking innocent life. Be faithful to the spouse in which God has brought you and in which you have chosen. Verse 15. 11, 11 minutes. Awesome. You should, this is an easy one. Four letters, four words. You shall not steal. Hebrew rabbis say that this command encompasses all the other commands on the second tablet of how we should uh, live with one another. Because what is murder? It's the stealing of another person's life. What is committing adultery? It's the stealing of another person's spouse. What is bearing false witness? We'll see in a, see in a moment. It's the stealing of justice. What is to, to covet it's the desire to steal the property or something that someone else owns. So when God says, thou shalt not steal, he means it. And also, 3,500 years ago, God sets in motion, right? Because part of this word means kidnapping, to steal another person, right? God sets in motion long before the civilized Western world even came into being, the dangers and the horrors and the sin of slavery itself. 3,500 years ago, do not, thou shall not steal at any time, in any place, not a thing, not a person. We should, by the way, God loves private property. <laughs> we get the notion of private property. That old Tesla song, signs, signs everywhere, signs. I used to love that song as a kid. Then you own land and you're like, no, 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 don't jump my fence. <laughs> Thou shall not steal. It's a command. Do we want higher civilization? Yes. How do we do it? We shall not steal. Verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Some of your, this, thou shall not lie. What does it mean to bear false witness? It means to say something that's not true. And this command is not open-ended. It's got, a, it's got a subject. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Obviously, this means in court situations as well as out of court situations. Did you know that every societal evil begins with a lie? 
communism, fascism, slavery, every great uh, anti-Semitism, even for Christians early in the Roman Empire. The false witness going around was Christians were cannibals. They sit at a table and they eat flesh and they drink blood, which brought great persecutions amongst our first fathers and mothers in the Christian church 2,000 years ago. This has happened to the Jews throughout history. In the medieval periods, it was the Jewish people that were blamed for the, plague, the, the great plague, the Black Death. Even though they were dying from the same thing, they were blamed for it. And it brought great persecution against their entire people, just like in World War II. Right? They were blamed. It was said that they were killing, they were kidnapping, they were stealing, they were kidnapping Christian children. And grinding them up to make their Passover matzah. Their unleavened bread wafers for the Passover meal. Right? Lies lead to social evil and unrest. In court, it's why we say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Because there can be no justice if we lie under oath. Again, imagine a world where no one murdered, where no one stole, where no one lied. Jesus himself, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. He was perfect in his human life. Which is why they had to bring false witnesses against him to testify against him injustice always comes through false witness that's why the bible is clear have two at least two never judge on the basis of one witness you gotta have two witnesses to make sure you're judging rightly but in the case of jesus again they brought multiple false witnesses against him don't bear false witness in court or out of court The New Testament is full of commands concerning gossip, slander. Something that unfortunately Christians are probably better at than non-believers. We love to kick our own, to shoot our own, to degrade our own. Gossip is when you say something about another person to someone else that you don't know whether it's true or not. It's unconfirmed. Let me give you an example. Well, you know they moved the wedding up. I hear she's pregnant. That's gossip. And it's unbecoming. You don't know if it's true. So it's false witness. Don't do it. Slander is when you are purposefully and maliciously trying to turn people against someone else by defaming them, by assassinating their character. So when they bring their side, they're already going to be on your side. So when you're trying to defame others to get people on your side, slander. We don't lie in the court. We don't lie outside of the court. We don't bear false witness. Against our neighbors. We don't say anything to harm those around us. Now, is there ever an example of when it's okay to lie? Yeah, the Jews would say yes, who understand the Hebrew Ten Commandments better than than most. We have the example in Joshua where Rahab the spy, right? The command is don't bear false witness against your neighbor. But the Jews would say, if it's for the benefit of your neighbor, like in the case of Rahab, if people are coming to kill someone unjustly and they're under your floorboards and they come to your door and say, do you know where they are? Just like if a thief broke into your house at night and you knew your daughter was under the bed and the thief asks you, is there anyone else in the house? You better lie. Or I think less of your fatherhood or your motherhood. To protect for the good of your neighbor. But not 
against your neighbor. Do not bear false witness. The Jews also had something called shalom bayet. It means peace in the home. They would, they would say it's okay to lie, to keep peace in the home. Here's an example. Your wife's eight and a half months pregnant. She hates everything. Her emotions are wild, changing every few minutes because pregnancy does that uh, to the body. And she comes out and it's Sunday morning. She's uncomfortable and she's, her self-esteem has been shot. She's got stretch marks and she comes out and she says, does this dress make me look fat? <laughs> Men, shalom by it. <laughs> it's your best friend. Because only the fool says, you're eight and a half months pregnant. Of course you're huge. <laughs> The fool invites chaos into his home. We gotta hurry. Come on, come on, let's go. Let's go. Two minutes. Shall not steal, shall not bear false witness. You shall not, here's the last one, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor. You shall not covet what your neighbor has. Right? There's a reason we have sayings in America the grass is always greener. On the other side of the fence, we always want what we don't have. Put up James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. This is one I, I give my kids all the time. Why do we fight and quarrel? What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. We're constantly looking out at what someone else has and we're jealous and our desires and our passion cause us to covet what they have. The tenth commandment is don't do that. A couple big ideas. Coveting leads to breaking these other commandments against other people. King David, right? He saw her bathing on the roof. Her beauty in the moonlight overthrew him. Nobody? 8 a.m., bunch of non-pop culture people. <laughs> I was watching Walter Cronkite specials last night. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing anymore. All right, David, he saw her and he coveted. And his coveting led to adultery, and then to murder. King Ahab in 1 Kings, he wants a piece of land across from the palace owned by a man named Navat. Navat won't sell. So Jezebel, his wife, brings two false witnesses against him. He was speaking bad against God and against the king, so they convicted him of treason and murdered him to get the land because it's what the king coveted. Coveting leads to breaking the other commands. Which is why God says, protect your heart. Remember, it's not what comes in that makes you unclean. It's what's in here already. It's why one of our values in our church staff is stay in your own yard. Stop looking everywhere else. Because it, it can lead to coveting what others have. And here's the big idea. Commandment number 10. All these other commands are behavioral. Right? It takes action to honor your parents. It takes action to commit adultery. It takes action to murder. It takes action to steal. Coveting begins in the heart. A heart that the Bible says is desperately wicked and full of evil. No man can even comprehend. The heart is the center of the being in the Jewish mind. It's the thought. This is about our thoughts our motivations, our desires. Hear me. Commandment 10 proves something very clearly. You are not just an inch taller than all the kingdoms and phylums of the animal world. God created you male, female, in his image and in his likeness. And you, I know you've told yourself over and over you can't. 
I know you've told yourself over and over, it's a lost cause, it's a hopeless cause, but the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in us, according to Romans chapter 8. And God wouldn't give a command that we cannot follow. You can control your inner life. You can control, you can take every thought captive and cease from the coveting. You can, by God's grace, stay in your own yard, keeping you from the jealousies and the motivations and the passions that would cause you to break these other commands. This is God's decalogue, his 10 words, his 10 statements, his 10 commands for how we as his free people through the power, blood, grace, and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, we've been made free. It is these 10 commands that will not only keep us free, but will make our our lives long on the earth, building the higher civilization that God wants his people to be the beacon of light of in this world, the visible temple of God in this world. Now, as we close, we don't have time to read the rest of chapter 20, but it's when, after God finishes these Ten Commandments, the people say, we never want God to speak to us that way again. Moses, you continue to be our mediator. Big idea. As we listen to those Ten Commandments, as we begin to unpack them a little bit that we are able to this morning, we must all realize we are part of the pre- it's great to sit and be an armchair quarterback and watch the news and complain about everything we see. What does God want for his people? God wants his people to see that we are part of the problem. That we've got a foot out of bounds and it's time to repent of our sin. To come back in bounds. Our following the Ten Commandments don't save us. Jesus lived the perfect life that we have not. He died in our place for our sins. We can take rest in Christ Jesus today and his finished work. God has a six days of work for us to do here on earth. May we get back in bounds and may we take joy that only we can build by following his commands. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, God, your word is true. Drill us in each of our lives where we need to be drilled. Father, your spirit bring us into the grace and mercy that flows for our sins. Lord God, and may we be the people you use to bring gospel revival again. May we be the strong families that you use to build a strong nation. It is in Jesus' name, and every Christian said, Amen. Amen.